welcome back to another episode of the European show. So we're on episode 29 now, so we're getting close to 30, which is a pretty decent milestone. And so today it's it's me and Nick again. So how are you, Nick? Uh, I'm all right. You could, yeah, I'm I'm doing fine. Yesterday's match has had a bit of an impact on me, but overall, doing decent. Yeah, there's been some interesting results over the past few days, which have gone against most of the things that we've said, as per usual. <laughs> which is which is a common occurrence. <laughs> so there's there's one place to start, and that's where or Barcelona versus Sevilla, where we we said. With confidence as well. We were very adamant about this. We, 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 it's so stupidly confident. That Sevilla were going to progress to the Copa del Rey final after winning 2-0 against Barcelona in a game where Barcelona were pretty terrible as well. But no, they Sevilla became the, one of the biggest choke artists around after after Barcelona. <laughs> and they, they, they messed up, they, they screwed up predictions. In, in what was a, an almighty collapse from Sevilla. Yeah, it was, it was quite frustrating to watch because Sevilla has proven that they have a better team than Barcelona. In the first game, they outplayed outplayed Coman's team just in every aspect, both in the attacking and the offensive in control of the midfield. And then the second half of the game the, on the previous weekend, they, they, they did the same and they really just choked out Barcelona, except Lopetegui for some reason was like, okay, you know what didn't work? Uh, on on the weekend, sitting back and defending. So what I'm gonna do this weekend, this this Copa del Rey matchup, I'm gonna sit back and defend. And he just let Barca have the ball. They got into a good rhythm. They started playing very very well. And then and then the the goals just came. The Dembele scored a, a very very nice. That that was a that was a very nice goal from Dembele. To, to be fair, absolutely. As he, as he fell over originally, but was able to get back on his feet without losing the ball and managed to fire a rocket into the net curl it into the top corner yeah quite early on as well so Barca definitely had a, had a hope from the start and and for some reason Lopetegui was like okay this is fine if I get an away goal then I'm, then then it almost secures my, my my spot in the final but he was just like okay I'm just going to keep on defending this is fine o- uh, on that ha- yeah. do, do you think away goals should really matter in domestic competitions because obviously for Europe it makes sense but in like a domestic club competition do you think it should really matter? I, I think it would make sense if there were fans but in this context I, I think it's a bit stupid to be like hey Sevilla would go through an away goals if they scored because if you think about it they don't travel that far like yeah it's like an hour or two hours by flight but as uh, obviously there's no fans no pressure less pressure and such, and and I mean, it's it's been it's been shown, right? That even with 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 no fans, players still play better in their home ground, just because psychologically it's it's like a, like a territory they want to defend in that. But but it's not that big of a difference in so, because because at the end of the day, both teams play play there and back. So so I don't really think that in this case uh, away goals would count. But but the, the rules currently said they do. So the the reality is, if Sevilla had scored, then Barca would have needed four goals to go through. And obviously, Sevilla had a great chance to score when a Campos had had a penalty, and you would back him to score it because of how the form he's in and the form he has had from the penalty spot. Yeah, but he hasn't missed that any penalties the in the last like five, six months or something. 
until it matters. <laughs> yeah, until it matters against it, and until it's against Barcelona to send his team into the Copa del Rey final, and then he's like, it, it wasn't even like a good penalty. It was just like soft, fairly centered. Tetrasegan respect him for saving it, obviously, but he 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 has saved harder penalties than that. It was a bit of a gift and a massive waste of an opportunity as well. I'm pretty sure Sevilla's only shot on target in the entire game. They were just terrible throughout. And it, it, things got worse for Sevilla as well when Fernando got sent off with a stupid tackle as well. And then Gerard Piquet managed to score quite late on. With a with a header to send the game to extra time. Respect to Griezmann here. I I, I did clown him <laughs> quite a lot for for not playing, and I, I, and fair enough, he was quite bad in it before he took his rest. But some games on the bench have been good for him to to recover, to to focus on his game more. And then when he when he came on the pitch, he was he was a lot better. He was a lot more productive, sharper, and and just motivated. And he got the assist for for that goal. For the for the equalizer, in which he really fought for the ball to keep it in. In in fairness, it was also a, a defensive mistake in which a, a corner came in, and for some reason, uh, I think maybe Diego Carlos heads it heads the ball back into back into like the danger zone, and then Griezmann picks it up and crosses it in. But like Griezmann did well to 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 chase to, to chase the ball that far and, and keep going. And then obviously in extra time, the most unlikely of of saviors appears for Barcelona. In Martin Braithwaite to score the winner to send them through to the final. This whole game was so weird. Everything about it just did, did not go the way you would expect it to. And a winner by Martin Braithwaite is just like the embodiment of all of that. It was it was a pretty decent goal as well. He had a bit of luck on this side with back with backlick, uh, not like just having the ball go through his legs and all. Backlick being the goalkeeper, right? But it was it was a good header. It was quite impressive. What do you make of some of the refereeing decisions? Because there was a lot of interesting moments which were, could have been quite crucial in the in how the game panned out. Do you think that the ref had a, had a decent game or do you think there was some quite iffy decisions? No, the ref had a garbage game. Uh, <laughs> in I mean, the, the previous weekend I complained about the ref, but in fairness it's a little bit different because it wasn't like a bias. It was more just like he was... N- bad he couldn't really see what was going on he missed a handball by a campos in the box he missed a handball by Lenglet in the box he missed pedri being taken down in a clear penalty he missed Lenglet taking down a campos for a second time as a clear penalty he he was missing some very grave fouls and he was giving yellow cards for really just light fouls he was just bad throughout so so the the, the level of refing in in spain has always been quite poor, but but today was put on on full display. And so obviously that win for Barcelona will uh, mean they face either Athletic Bilbao or Levante in the final, and they play on the night we're recording this. And then in at the weekend, Barcelona against Osasuna in, in a game that you probably expect them to win now with the form they've been in. I I would say it w- it would be funny as hell. If Athletic Bilbao beat Levante and then beat beat Barcelona in the final, just like they did in the Supercopa, but I don't want to like properly say that, or else it won't happen. I I just know it. A game that we we weren't able to talk about because when we were recording was Real Madrid versus Real Sociedad, and I think only the events that occurred in that <laughs> in that game are quite interesting. Just mainly for the context of of this podcast. Yeah, I am a I am a bit of a Vinicius hater. I I I will say it. 
he not not him as a person, right? Uh, and hate is a strong word, but I don't genuinely hate him. But I I think that he's not currently good enough for Real Madrid. I've said this a lot, and and on the podcast yesterday, I. When I, I looked at the lineup before the game and I was like, oh, okay, this is great. Vinicius is the starting, so so Real Madrid have a chance to to win, and and Real Madrid w- played pretty terribly for the first eighteen minutes of the game. Outplayed quite badly by Real Sociedad, and then Vinicius comes on, and and he scores, and not even like one of his bad deflected goals, like a tap in, like he usually does. It was like decent. The good thing about this is that we I can now conclusively say. That Vinicius listens to the podcast, just heard me talking like it's talking talking smack about him, and he was like, "Okay, I'm gonna prove him wrong." So I, I can't find any other explanation for it. So there's this bright point. Now we can conclude that Vinicius listens to the podcast. However, I sounded like an idiot, but it's fine. We move. And so it'd be interesting to see whether Vinicius can come bite Nick in the ass again <laughs> with Real Madrid versus Atletico Madrid. <laughs> this weekend in a, in a very big game and it will be funny if Real Madrid win because of Vinicius Junior masterclass I'm pretty sure I would actually have I, I, I would go genuinely crazy if Vinicius scores against Atleti um, I don't, what should I do? be careful what you say here I'm, I'm not going to shave my head again we'll, we'll see we'll see we'll see but, but Vinicius won't score against Atleti because that would be stupid but, but overall the I think I think Real Madrid scoring in general will be a bit of a problem because they are going through through an injury crisis with with Benzema being out, Hazard being out, um, and 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 all of these and and Ramos being out as well. Not not that he's a prolific striker and all, but but he's always that big man in the set pieces. So overall, uh, Real Madrid's Real Madrid's injuries will be will be a hindrance. And meanwhile, Atleti will. Possibly have an advantage, seeing as to how Carrasco and Trippier will be back in the team. I'm not sure if either of them will be in a state to to start right away, but if they if they manage to to play the whole game and play in good form, then then hopefully Leti will, will return to uh, to the amazing state that they were in this in the start of the season, because because really those two players are th- the key to. To having to having Simeone's three the back system work well, so so we'll have to see if if it really does prove to be an advantage and if Real Madrid truly are crippled by by their current lack of attackers. Obviously, um, Real Madrid have triumphed in the previous meetings. They so they won the game early on in the season and then they won one last year and then drew the other. So a win for Real Madrid to see the gap close between Atletico Madrid in second place to only two points albeit Atletico Madrid still have a game in hand and then obviously if if Atletico Madrid win that will increase their lead to eight points without also having to remember that they have a game in hand so I I do think that game in hand is going to be quite crucial come later on in the season as if if Atletico lose this, this game against Real it will Get to squeaky bum time soon. Yeah, absolutely. This game in hand, in fairness, is against Athletic Bilbao, which is by no means an easy team. But it, I, I think with the right motivation, Atleti would would win the game and, and secure all three points. But as 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 Levante proved, a game in hand doesn't guarantee a win. So we'll, we'll have to see how that turns out and if it really is as useful as it looks. So we're going to have our, our break and then we'll be back with some Deutsche Pokal action and the Serie A. 
Welcome back from our from our break. We're, we're now gonna we're now gonna start with the Deutsche Pokal, where the biggest game out of the draws was Borussia Mönchengladbach versus Borussia Dortmund in a game probably between two of the fate well not Borussia Mönchengladbach anymore, but the favourites for the tournament and Dortmund triumphed one nil. Um, and it was quite a tense game throughout. On a positive for Borussia Mönchengladbach, they did look a lot better than in their previous games where they were genuinely dog shit <laughs> but um, yeah they, they they looked a lot better team for the majority of the game and the best chance of the and they had the best chance of the game as well when Ben Zabaini literally thunderbolted a shot right right it looked like it was going to go in it, there was literally no way to stop it but then somehow <laughs> Marvin hits the goalkeeper that I have criticised, to say the least, somehow saved it in a way of him going, "Fuck you, Jack." It, it, it sounds a lot like hits is Marvin hits is that is is to you what Vinicius is to me, yeah. and we can therefore conclude that Marvin hits and listens to the podcast and save that out of spite. Yeah, he, he when he was diving for that, he realised I've got to get this just to spite Jack. <laughs> he did that. He spited me so much when he saved that. And and that was actually a big save as well, as then later on in the game, Dortmund have been notoriously quite bad at um, at defending corners, but they successfully defended um, Christian Mönchengladbach's corner and then proceeded to score from the counter. De Hood broke, played it to Haaland, who then play, played it to Royce, who then played through Sancho, who then scored. And that does mean that Sancho continues his great start to the well, great, great 2021 that he's had so far. Yeah. And he's looking like a, a lot better player than he did at the beginning of this season. And, and back to Daoud, who, who, who you mentioned earlier. He, he's been quite interesting recently. He's been at the centre of a lot of, the, a lot of the action at Dortmund, scoring a lot and, and just playing quite well, getting back in form. And today he was also the centre of the action, uh, helping, helping score in that. And then, well, he he made an important play, but in the wrong way by getting himself sent off. It 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 didn't end up affecting the result, but it, it's interesting that that now he might this break might just cut his his good run of form. And we'll have to see if if he can maintain this while while he's out and he has this little dent in his morale. To be to be fair, though, during the game, it definitely looked like someone was going to get sent off. Because it was there was a lot of interesting challenges that that were being um, thrown in, and um, to be and that, I do find it quite funny how the ex Munchen Gladback player got sent off, but I, I was expecting with the way he Dahoud would be playing that he was heavily he would heavily influence the game and kind of teach Munchen Gladback a lesson. The same with Thorgan Hazard, in a way of just saying. Ex Munchen Gladbach players are screwing you over. It, it it looked a lot like like the the year ten versus year eleven games you played back in school in the sense that that Dortmund was playing essentially against th- their academy, so <laughs> it it was quite interesting the the whole dynamic around that. Yeah, so sadly that result for Borussia Mönchengladbach is literally another nail in the coffin for them, and their season's all but over now. They so they're out of the Pokal, which is really realistically their own. Yeah, only real piece of silver where they could have had. Uh, they are 
not officially out of the Champions League yet, but with the way Manchester City are playing, you would think they are. But obviously, I still back a bunch of guy back four to win, and with the and the narrative has been set up nicely as well. With <laughs> the poor Borussia Mönchengladbach team somehow overcoming and, and winning against this mighty Manchester City team and then they they're also out of the race for the Champions League and so the next it is still it's pro- pro- probably unlikely that they make it into the Europa League but that's still somewhat achievable and so is their position in the UEFA Conference League and so you'll hear it here first Borussia Mönchengladbach the 2021-22 to inaugural UEFA Champ- uh, Conference League winners there you go <laughs> and they'll be the first team to go from the Champions League to the Conference League in the space of a year which would be great but what was interesting to me was uh, hashtag Rosa Rouse which if you're not um, if you are unaware of German it means Rosa out for gun trending and it it, it, it shows that the, the, the fans of Brissi Munch and Gladbach increasingly want Marco Rosa out because of the performances that have come since his announcement that he was going to leave for Brissy uh, Dortmund. Well, what do you think, Jack? Should he, should he stay or should he just or, or should he just leave now with just these few months left of the season? I think he should stay, mainly because what, there's literally no manager that will be able to come in to replace him. Who, who would come in for literally two months and then leave again? It just doesn't make sense to mainly on Bruce and Gladbach's part to to get rid of him. Whereas for Marco Rosa, he it's kind of a bit of like dignity, really, if he because the amount of stuff he said about Bruce and Gladbach and about how much he liked the club and stuff, then it would look a bit of like kicking the teeth if he just kind of left, you know. Yeah. And so I think he's he's mainly staying for for pride at this at this point. And it has been alleged that he he has said that the reason he chose to go to Dortmund and he said this to the players was because he couldn't see them progressing any further, which is a bit of a kick in the teeth, really, if you're pushing into Gladbach players, especially with some of the talent they have. But what was funny for me was my... You can follow me on Twitter if you want. I was followed by an account called (laughs) His Marco Rosa Sacked Yet, which made me... It was quite amusing, especially because I am, I'm, I'm anti Marco Rosa out, and I believe he should stay mainly because of the quality of manager he is. So that did uh, make me, I did find that amusing. And so the other, uh, other big Deutsche Pokal game was between RB Leipzig and Wolfsburg. In this game was a lot more attacking, which is quite surprising. Was Wolfsburg? It was a lot. It was very end to end as well, and. Uh, Wolfsburg had their chances. There was a chance for a Maxine Lacroix assist, which I was, I was getting quite hyped for until um, Galachi made a great save. But then, um, then Leipzig opened the scoring through Yusuf Poulsen, who had a great slalom run, beating quite a few Wolfsburg defenders before slotting it past Castiles. But the the creator of that goal was Alexander Sorloff, who. In, he's beginning to make the difference now and beginning to become a bit of a super sub for for RB Leipzig so it'd be quite interesting to see how whether he continues to be the super sub that they need and then finally Wang Yi Chan sealed it for for Leipzig 
Holstein Kiel uh, beat Essen of fourth tier Rottweiss Essen 3 0. And then the other game between Werder Bremen and Jan Regensburg was postponed due to an outbreak of COVID in the Regensburg squad. So it'd be funny if the draw does pick pip Dortmund versus RB Leipzig. And then it'd be an interesting interesting final. But I think we're looking at probably a Borussia Dortmund RB Leipzig Deutsche Pokal final, which will be quite interesting. So at this weekend in the this weekend in the Bundesliga is such a a great weekend like some of the games that are that are coming up are, are interesting and some very exciting I think the biggest one is, is, is the biggest of them all it's the, the classica between Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund and uh, the result for this game will have a big outcome on on each team's season so if Bayern lose it, it will allow RB Leipzig to go top of the Bundesliga if Dortmund lose, it will be a big blow to their Champions League chances, as then they will possibly fall further behind Eintracht Frankfurt and Wolfsburg. But Bayern have actually been quite poor defensively in, in recent games. And with the way Dortmund have been playing as well, it, it's entirely possible that we could see a surprise result from Dortmund. Yes, it's possible. But I, I think it's quite unlikely my my hard objective statements or my hard firm statements that I usually make have almost always turned against me but I but I would say I would say Bayern have this one just just because they're the better team because because as as incredibly good as Haaland is Lewandowski is a better striker because as good as as good as um, as good a winger as Jaden Sancho is Nabry is has, is slightly better, but he has been injured for for a while, so he's not as good. And of course, uh, Manuel Neuer is just a little bit better than Marvin Hitz. It, it depends on how you look at it. I'm obviously joking. <laughs> Manuel Neuer is one of the best, probably the best keeper in the world, while Marvin Hitz really isn't that great. And and right, yeah, Bayern have been a little bit inconsistent recently, but they've also shown the ability to really step up when they have to. For example, in the game against Lazio, where they where they just pick themselves up together and they and they just really push for the for the win and and Bayern is famously good at, at just beating the hell out of out of Dortmund so I'm pretty sure they'll just do it again today I I don't really think Dortmund have that much of a chance of fighting back to be honest yeah and to be fair Dortmund could possibly be without Jadon Sancho and Rafael Guerrero both important players for them yeah, Rafael, think... Rafael, Rafael Guerrero has gone a little bit under the radar recently. I, I, I did like him a lot last season, I, and and now this season he's been still very important, improving his defending a lot as well as his already quite, quite quite high talent in terms of attacking. So they will sorely miss him. And as they were both went off injured against Borussia Mönchengladbach, so it'd be interesting to see whether they do play, and if not, it'd be interesting to see whether Gio Reyna and. Uh, Nico Schultz can can both step up, and then in the early kickoff, you've got a big game between Borussia Mönchengladbach and Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, both teams are looking to end their poor run of form. Um, Leverkusen will be without Florian Wirtz, who tested positive for COVID. That's a positive for Borussia Mönchengladbach, as as it will mean Florian Wirtz cannot pull them apart. Yeah, so it, and it will be interesting to see how Borussia Mönchengladbach one line up and to play 
because obviously they had our, their strongest team out against Borussia Dortmund. So it'd be interesting to see whether they keep the same team for this, but I highly doubt it, as Marco Rose is a big fan of rotation. And it's worth noting that the last game between these two teams, Leverkusen won 4-3, but I think it, this was highlighted by Valentino Lazaro's scorpion kick, which is the goal of the season, basically. And there's, there's no denying it either. And then right at the bottom, you've got a game between Schalke and Mainz. It's a battle at the bottom. Mainz are re- realistically the only team that have a chance of, of possibly making an escape from the relegation zone, whereas Schalke are playing for pride. And it'd be interesting to see how Schalke's new manager does does line the team up and how, they, how he plays, because I imagine he'll look at it as a test. He'll look at these next few games until the end of the season, a bit of a testing ground for how they're going to play in the Bundesliga's Vi. So now on to Serie A, where we had a, a round of, of midweek games, where we'll first start in Milan, where AC Milan drew 1-1 with Udinese, in a game where Milan were do- dominated. They, they were the better team by far, but they were poor in front of goal. And they actually went a goal behind after... Poor goalkeeping by Gianluigi Donnarumma, who who made some errors with his handling, allowing the ball to to roll in really, and then Milan kept kept up their onslaught on the Udinese goal, uh, and until the 97th minute, where somehow a handball was given to Milan, and they win a penalty, and that allows Frank Kessier to score in the 97th minute to rescue a point from Milan in a game where they looked so poor and they probably actually deserved to lose. So they got they got quite lucky there. But it does mean that Inter Milan, who played tonight, have the possibility to pull ahead even further. And it, we are possibly looking at an Inter Milan title win. But this is a Milan team that do not look the same as they did at the beginning of the season. Yeah, absolutely. I I did I did mention last time that the Zlatan not being there wouldn't affect them too badly, and and right if you just look at the look look at the result from this weekend it, it looks like I was wrong. I still stand by this comment. Uh, it, it's a big loss of course, but I I think that that the biggest impact that that he has is in terms of morale. He brings a fighting spirit to the team and, and lifts them up always. And if he had been on the pitch, I think that they would have reacted earlier to to their to their position. So. I, I I really think they need someone to step up now, and and take this role, this role that he had uh, uh, of being a bit of a captain, a bit of a leader. Like like granted, he didn't have the captain's arm, and but he essentially fulfilled a similar role, and and he got everyone to to fight until the last minutes. And and now without him, Milan don't really have that as much. So it it, it will be interesting to see how how they manage to recover from this. And so I I, f- I feel like we are looking at Milan's probably slipping away and their inexperience kind of being being shown now as we get into the crucial point of the season. Uh, Juventus uh, played Spezia and won 3-0. Firstly, Weston McKenney uh, has signed permanently now for for Juventus and, will, and has left Schalke in what was expected really. And... He, and so he's left Schalke after four years at the club where he was a decent servant. 
I'm pretty sure I'd have like actually gotten depression if a player as good as him had was forced to play in the Bundesliga twice. I think this, I think this move for him is is perfect. I, I I really like him and I think he fits quite well at, at Juventus. So this is definitely a, a very good move for him and I hope to see see him continue to improve. In in the game itself though, Juventus were quite poor in the first half. Spezia caused them some issues as well, which is quite surprising. And if they were playing a lot better team, they could have easily been punished by by the team. But in the second half, they managed to kind of pick it up a bit. Avaro Morata opened the scoring with a goal, which was originally disallowed. But then it was awarded again. And then Ronaldo and Federico Chiesa both secured. Uh, got a goal each to secure the win. Yeah, I, rem- I remember last episode you you you, you gave Kaiser some quite high praise, and and uh, I didn't quite I I I have seen him play some some quite good games. I've also seen him play some pretty bad games, but today was one of his really good days, and I really understood what you meant by by he really just tries to to win the game for Juve and he tries to to really push them forward, and and he scored a really really nice goal. Um, yesterday, where, where he really showed his determination, where he he took a shot, goalkeeper blocked, and he just scrambles forwards, just trying to get the ball no matter what. And that that was a great, it. that was a great finish. It was a like great he was finish. Able to exactly. pull it off. And Federico Bernadeschi had a great game as well, uh, especially after getting subbed on. But the game of the game of the round was definitely Sassuolo versus Napoli, which finished three three. It was an end to end game throughout, but Sassuolo probably deserved the win more. But Napoli thought they had won it in the 90th minute when Lorenzo Insigne scored a penalty. But then five minutes later, Caputo scored a penalty to secure a draw for for Sassuolo uh, in the 95th minute. So Napoli will be kicking themselves that they've somehow managed to draw that. In fairness, fairness, it's a a bit of a miracle they even managed to score, sorry, to to draw that. Because Sassuolo had the better chances and... uh, could have could have pulled further ahead on multiple occasions. I think they hit the the woodwork two or three times throughout the game, and they were just taking better quality shots throughout. So I I'm, I I think that they w- won't be too angry about about them not, not not dropping points because they were able to punish to punish. Uh, Napoli was able was able to to punish Asuolo better than than the other way around. And so at the weekend, we've got some big games here as well as Juventus against Lazio. With the way Juventus have been playing quite recently, you could see a Lazio win as well, which I wouldn't be surprised about. And then there's a big challenge for Inter Milan as they play, obviously, free-scoring Atalanta. And so it'd be interesting to see how Inter Milan deal with Giampiero Gasparini's men. So we're going to have our, our goal song break now, and then we'll be back with... Liga and some an interesting discussion. Welcome back from our goal song break, where you just heard the Galatasaray goal, goal song. So, Nick, what did you think of it? It's amazing. I love it. It's it's hype as hell. 
I, w I would love hearing that after a goal. That's an easy 10 out of 10 from me, no problem. Go for eight, but I see where you're coming from. Like the scenes when with the Galatasaray crowd as well, when it when they when they would score, it would be an interesting experience to say the least. Turkish football is next level. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. And so we'll start in the league now, which is getting close to next level, with especially the title race. As so, we'll paint the picture nicely. So, in the midweek games, PSG in the early game, Leon had beaten. Ren 1-0 with a goal from Asen and then in the later game you had in the later games you had Lille playing Marseille and PSG playing Bordeaux at the same time uh, PSG had won 1-0 against Bordeaux and when the game was over Lille were drawing 0-0 with Marseille and so the heat was on for Lille and it was looking like Lille were actually going to sacrifice first place to PSG and I would have hate to say it, but the title race may have been over then. But obviously, surprises have been thrown already, and it could easily have happened again. But it wasn't good if Lille were to drop points. But then, Jonathan Akone has a shot which is parried away by Steve Mandanda, only for Jonathan David to come in clutch and score not one, but two late goals to keep Lille top. Once again, a player that... In, in, in fairness, we, we, we didn't make fun of him in a mean-spirited manner. We, we were just counting down the days until he scored his first Lille goal at the start of the season. And, and he took his while. I believe we got to 70-something or 100-something goals until days, sorry, between his last goal for Genk and his first goal for, for Lille. And, and he didn't really look very convincing. He didn't really look like he was going to get off to, to being the great player he's meant to be. No, he's going crazy. He's he's scoring every every other week basically, and he's being extremely important to to Lille, and and I think it'd be quite interesting if he went from being this player that that everyone is doubting and no one's quite sure of, to to suddenly being able to potentially carry Lille to a title with, because it's not the first time that he's been this decisive. He's he's scored last minute equalizers and winners quite a few times over the last two months, so so it may be it may it may be down to these goals that that he wins Lille the league if they do end up taking the title I, I think it would be a great na narrative especially for us if the player we we clowned at the beginning of the season goes on to be basically the title winner for Lille and that'd be <laughs> the, sec the second title in 10 years as well it's quite surprising it'd be quite on brand for us to be fair exactly and then we should definitely gain some praise for that as well as we've been yeah, exactly. intrinsic motivation <laughs> for Jonathan David to score even if he even even if he doesn't know it, we we were the ones who made him good. Yeah, we we helped him somehow score, and so basically we won the league for Leo. Yeah, yeah. The, at the end of the day, it comes down to that, really. Yeah, we should get one of those mini mini trophies and and the medals as well. We should stop saying Leo's going to win the title, or else they won't. Yeah, but but this was away from the two goals for Jonathan David. This was another case of Leo dominating the game, but being unable to score. As they were so dominant against the utterly terrible Marseille team, <laughs> who really offered nothing, but they were just unable to do anything with it, which is which has been a persistent issue for them, especially since January. And as I've said it before, and I say it again, if they don't address this issue, things are going to go badly for them, and they may not, they may drop points again and lose the league, and it is it's definitely going to matter. 
in the coming games where in the next two games they play Monaco, Nantes and then PSG which that PSG game is going to be a big one in the context of this whole title race but next weekend or this coming weekend Lille against Monaco as I said in what's a big game and it will Lille have to turn up basically if they don't Monaco will punish them and Lille will probably lan- uh, relinquish first, pay- first place to probably PSG and then we'll, if, if that that game against PSG will become even more important. Then PSG against Nantes in in a game we expect PSG to win, but obviously surprises have been thrown before. And Reims are against Lyon, so this is another big weekend for basically from now until the end of the season. It's a big weekend for for the whole of the French title race and it's definitely something to keep an eye on as this as it heats up it's interesting how how the French league classically called the Farmers League and boring because PSG always win which usually has been fairly true because PSG have have almost always just blown everyone away it's so incredibly interesting this season just no one no one manages to pull away just every time you you think something's going to happen the opposite happens and and it's been very exciting, and and it's going to be a great weekend, as you said, to see to see how the next few weeks will will shape out. And and I, it is it seems to be people, mainly Premier League fans, called like the the five the top four leagues in in Europe farmers leagues. But they're all the leagues where there's an extra title race. Yeah, and in in, 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 in all yeah. the top four, there is a a title race going on. Whereas in England, it's it's over basically. I agree. <laughs> And so now there's going to be some some stuff we're going to we're going to talk about a bit more a bit more serious now. So it's been reported or it's been announced by several Norwegian clubs, including Tromoso Odd, Viking, and Stroms Godset, that they want the Norwegian national team to boycott the the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. And so obviously qualifying for this World Cup hasn't actually started yet it's due to begin in in March in the coming weeks do you think Norway should boycott the World Cup as obviously they do have a a great a great team in there yeah. they they have a great team I, I think it would be a real shame if they if they went for a boycott but then the but then the World Cup went on anyways so so essentially if the boycott didn't work because because they do have a surprisingly exciting team for this for these next few years with with Haaland getting crazy good with with Odegaard beginning to to really secure his footing on the big stage uh Sorloff as well is doing quite well overall they're really starting to 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 build a team like like one they've never really had before so it would be a bit of a waste to not be able to use that and and they would really really only want to to go through with with this boycott if they manage to to essentially secure other people to to join in and and make sure that the world cup really doesn't go through because because once again it would be a massive shame if they just sat it out because they didn't they, they just didn't want to join in and i do think it'd be a shame not to see Erling Haaland on on the on the biggest on, on stage of the World Cup debut winning, yeah, just especially winning especially because uh, Norway have missed out on on the Euros as well, and so it would be a shame to miss Harland, out on Haaland. But I'd, as you said, I do think they need to get enough support behind it to be able to 
to to pull to to make it a successful boycott. Uh, especially, and I I think especially the Scandinavian countries around them, so Sweden and Denmark would would back them. But it, it makes you think: when would it be best to actually like declare that they're boycotting? Would it be after qualifying? If they qualified, or would it be before? Yeah, it would be a little bit strange if they called that they would boycott and then they just didn't get in any way. So it would look a little bit stupid and it would just take away the, just delegitimize the, the whole movement basically because it's just like, oh, okay, you're kind of irrelevant now. But it would be quite powerful if, if Norway, a country that hardly ever gets into the World Cup, suddenly is like, okay, you know what? We're not actually going to take advantage of this opportunity. We're actually just going to intentionally just say, like, uh, show, show the middle finger to you to FIFA and be like okay this isn't for us it would would be a much more powerful message so it would definitely be interesting to see how how this develops over the coming coming years really Uh, but we'll probably find out uh, at the beginning of next year because obviously the World Cup's at the back end of the the year strangely enough about how this all happens and whether I, I, I do think the biggest statement would be Norway qualify and then they um, and then they boycott it, and with the with the way they with the team they have, I I wouldn't be surprised if they did actually qualify. Who who are they in a group with actually? Uh, so they're in a group with Gibraltar, Latvia, Montenegro, the Netherlands, and Turkey. I, I I'm fairly confident they can make it out of that. They can definitely get second, which would mean a place in the playoffs. Yeah, but and Turkey but, Turkey are a decent team as well. Yeah, so so they'll they'll probably come first then. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm messing. The, the, the Netherlands, is, the Netherlands does look a lot better than, than than in the previous qualifying. But as always, we'll have to see, especially with with, with Turkey and Norway, who are easy to underestimate, but but can pack quite a punch. So we will definitely have to keep an eye out. I, 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 I'm not being funny when I say this. I, I genuinely mean it. I'm pretty sure that Erling Haaland alone, like disregarding that Norway also have Odegaard and Sorloth, I'm pretty sure that just Odegaard and just 10, 10 Norwegian league players, uh, he, he, he would just drag that team into the World Cup and decently far into it as well. I'm talking like quarters, quarterfinals. That, that's, a, that's a bold statement right It is there. a bold statement, but, but I genuinely believe he's good enough, especially in two years. I, I, I do think he would actually do it. A year and a half. So, so you're saying that... Erling Haaland will have a similar impact to Michael Laudrup on the 1992 Denmark team that won the Euros. I think it's possible. I I genuinely (laughs) believe it's possible. Every time I see Haaland play, I'm like, wow, this guy is playing. He's playing for a team that he's he should be playing. He should be playing for a better team, but he's playing for Dortmund, and he still shines. and And he just drags them across the line in in multiple games. In, In fairness, he does have quite a lot of help in this team as well. But but he will also with Norway with with Odegaard and and, and Solis, as I've mentioned before as well as well as a few other pretty pretty good players, so, so I generally believe that that if Norway do go do go through to the World Cup, don't boycott th- they could go decently far. And another thing on, on the World Cup is obviously, it's been reported that England want to bid or Britain and I it's, I think it's England and Ireland actually want to bid for the twenty thirty World Cup. As it's a way of football coming home, um, do we think this is the right thing for the for the centenary World Cup as well? To make that clear, for it to be held in England, it's got to play, be played in Uruguay. It's the centenary World Cup. It's got to be played in the same place as as the first World Cup. 
just just don't be silly just it, it has to be that there's no other option i i don't understand oh football football's coming home right just because the fa was was created in in i don't know when doesn't mean that that football is an english thing like, like yeah it is predominant it, it did organized football came from there right but at the end of the day the first world cup was in uruguay that, that tradition should should go back in my opinion i i agree i do think it should happen in um in uruguay as obviously as you said it's where the first world cup was ever held and in, and yes they probably need to add paraguay to that list to help with their hosting but it, it it's it's where the world cup began and it should be where the 100th anniversary is they even have a stadium in uruguay dedicated to to the world cup and it should the final should be played in the exact stadium where the final was originally held as well yeah no absolutely it, it would be such a great narrative as well if uruguay won the scenes it would be a madness sadly i don't think uruguay will win because they have quite an aging team yeah, well, they absolutely. do they do have a few good youngsters coming through but it will be interesting to see how the uh, how the bidding goes and how the extended world cup because remember it is getting extended in 2026 will will deal with everything and so that's going to be it for today we're gonna uh, on monday we're gonna have a bit of a kind of an early a first like half of the episode will be a special as we're going to mainly focus on Barcelona and then the second half will be what we normally do and so yeah well, please follow us wherever you get podcasts please like us share us whatever um, support us whatever and yeah we'll see you in the next episode we'll see you next week and keep an eye out Sunday because Vinicius Junior is going to put on a football masterclass and score against Atletico Madrid my word is 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 absolute this is guaranteed to happen don't even worry about it take care and and see you in the next episode